What is up, guys? And welcome to another episode of Guarani Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me as always are my great co-hosts, Federico Perez, Maria Britos, and Ralph Hanna. And guys, we are right into the league action. We had mentioned a lot about the international break with Paraguay, talking about the World Cup qualifiers and the Copa America, but now we are shifting gears to what's going on in the league action. The clausura is starting Obviously, we're talking right now on the day that Cerro Porteño and Luqueño are kicking off right now. But obviously, we have a lot to talk about. We made our predictions. If you have not gone into our Twitter account at Guarani Vision, all four of us have made our predictions for this upcoming clausura season. Obviously, we have Libertadores and Sudamericana to talk about between our Paraguayan team. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation. Let's get this show on the road. Let's go all the way to the motherland first to Federico Perez, who... We should say is half vaccinated Federico Perez right now, but how are you, my friend? I'm halfway there. Hi, Roberto. Hi, Maria. Hi, Rob. Hi to everyone. I'm so happy to be back here with all of you guys. I'm so sorry I wasn't able to join you guys on the last episode. I've been just so busy with so many games over here in Paraguay. We got all the leagues going on, even though, you know, the top division, just like Roberto said, is coming back this weekend, uh, halfway in, in July, but yeah, I'm happy about the vaccines. Obviously, uh, a lot of people getting vaccinated here in Paraguay in these last couple of weeks with the American uh, vaccines. I got the Pfizer myself, so looking forward to in the next couple of weeks to completing my cycle and being able to go back to the to the stadiums to to try to have a, a normal life again in some kind of way. I'm so happy about that. Also, uh, I, I know you guys did a wrap up show uh, of the. Uh, of America, obviously talked about what happened with our national team's performance. Uh, I was happy to hear about that. I, I am yet to fall in love with, with our coaches' decisions, right, after what we saw from Paraguay in this Copa America that was played in Brazil, but I just hope he learned some lessons and we can come back stronger in September, just closing that chapter and moving on, obviously, in everything that's going to happen in this month of July. A, a very intense weekend was uh, Oh, and waiting for the Paraguayan League to come back. We had, just like Roberto said, Libertadores games. We had Sudamericana with Libertad also getting the big win this week because uh, Olympia couldn't do it at home because Cerro Porteño lost against uh, Fluminense also. So uh, I, I'm kind of worried about the Paraguayan teams and what I'm seeing from them in this Libertadores. I mean, they look like they don't have the level to, to take the trophy, but they can still fight it. I mean... You see Olympia 0-0 against Inter, and, you know, Inter looks beatable. I'm not going to say the same thing about Fluminense, but I don't think we're going to talk much about the game itself. I think we're going to talk more about the refs and what happened with the bar situation and, and then everything that, that was left behind after that match, and especially after that specific play where uh, Cerro Porteño could have uh, taken the lead uh, early uh, in the game. Well, obviously, talk about the awesome win in Colombia by Libertad against a junior from Barranquilla, this Libertad side that just looks stronger and stronger, especially with the players that they got. You guys were talking about some of them on the last episode, too. So and now we saw the games. Now we saw what our pair wine teams are made out. And we can kind of imagine also what the rematch is going to be like next week when they play uh, again for the important games, right? Just to see if we can get them out of the 16th. Uh, round of 16 and into the best teams of the South American, of the South American uh, football in Sudamericana and Libertadores. That's what we want to see a pair of wine teams. How's everybody doing? 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and you know, obviously, we're, we're happy for you that you've joined Team Pfizer, as all of us have joined us here in Anguarani Vision. Obviously, this isn't a sponsorship or anything, but it's just a, a pure coincidence, that's for sure. Um, let's go all the way to South Beach to Miami. And let's go to the, the blue and white part of Miami, from what I'm seeing from Maria Britos. I mean, look at you. I mean, you know, certainly you have your teams and, and obviously you support a team that wears black and white, but you're supporting the team from Via Rica. What is going on here? But how are you, Maria? <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, I'm repping uh, Huayreña this time. Um, you know, I said it in my preview, um, in my prediction uh, earlier today that I think they were such a, a fun team to watch and we all fell in love with them. So, you know, uh, I thought, why not, you know, represent them and uh, give them a little bit of love. But yeah, um, I hope, like I said, if you haven't guys, if you guys haven't seen the, the, the predictions, I said that I think they probably have a good chance of getting to the third place of the clausura that's just my take and I feel it's a little biased but that's fine <laughs> um but other than that you know I'm, I'm very excited for this clausura I can't believe that we're already half into the year um and you know I'm excited to see what the clubs can give us this time around you know we got the surprises last time with Guareña and uh you know Olympia not winning and Libertad taking on the trophy. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that this time around, it's going to be even more fun because not only that, um, but we're going to have fans according to the AFP. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, everyone's getting vaccinated in Paraguay. So that's a great sign. I'm happy for you guys. Happy for you, Fede. Uh, a lot of my family too is getting vaccinated. Thank, thank goodness. So if, if it does uh, happen, the, the, the fans can going to the stadium, that's just going to make it so much better and so much more fun, which is what we love, uh, part of what we love uh, in the game of, of soccer. But um, yeah, um, how's it going? How's Ralph doing? Yeah, I was going to say, like, Ralph, we'll, we'll go to you in a bit, but I agree, Maria. I think certainly, you know, Paraguay has kind of missed that kind of fan atmosphere that we haven't seen in, in years now, actually, two years. Let's go, let's go with that. Um, but now with people getting vaccinated and now obviously with the APFA trying to open up these kind of rules to allow fans to come back at a small capacity. But, you know, I think it's a, it shows that there is a, a shining light at the end of the tunnel. And, and certainly for, for what Ralph is going to go on here, I think for a, a league season that hopefully that we can see a repeat of what we saw last time around. Obviously, we saw a great race with, like you said, Guarania getting in that race, Nacional as well. But, you know, Libertad getting it very late on and you know I, I think we hopefully can see such a different or at least a similar kind of race this time around but you know I think it all depends on what these teams do and obviously not just the Libertadores and Sudamericana but also what's going on in the Copa Paraguay. you know a lot of these teams are really playing a lot of competition um, during this time uh, with the Clausura starting. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think I echo all of your guys' thoughts that this is very positive time for Paraguay. Like we, you know, we've spoken a lot on the show sometimes about how difficult it's been for for a long time now. You know, we, we talked about it, I think, when the Women's League came back, when Intermedia come, came back. And now we've got the Clausura. We've actually got youth football is starting again. So, you know, under 20s, under 17s 
haven't been playing all this time. That's going to get underway. Uh, the Copa Paraguay that you mentioned, Roberto, that starts on the 27th of July. They just confirmed during this week. And that's a great tournament, I think, because that brings teams from all over the country. You know, sometimes Primera gets a bit centralized, but this is really, you know, they're from everywhere. And, and because there's no fans, you're going to have the big teams going to stadiums they've never been to before, because usually because of security, they wouldn't allow it. But you're going to have like Cerro Porteño is going to play uh, Benjamin Aceval, which is, you know, they've never been in over a hundred years of history to that stadium. So we got some cool stories. And Where is that, the by fact, the way? Where is that, by the way? Just to let our, our viewers know. Oh, I have to throw it to Fede. I don't know. Benjamin Aceval is in the East, maybe, I think. I'm going to have to look it up. Huh? I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> I know it's pretty far away. I know it is pretty far away. I think it's going east rather than west of the Chaco, but we'll we'll check that out and we'll put it on on Twitter. And then about the the fans, I think yeah, the Comebol have have allowed this kind of they have this protocol in place of safe return to stadiums, which would allow eventually also in Sudamericana and Libertadores. But it depends on each country's uh, health ministry. And so today, the Paraguayan health ministry said. They back the idea of the APF, which is to have like some pilot programs in week two and three of the Clausura, where they'll try it out in a few games, limited capacity. But it means as, as soon as next week, we might even be seeing some fans, a small group back into stadiums. So, you know, things are, things are looking good. And hopefully by the end of the season, towards the end of the Clausura, we'll be, you know, these games, if they're not full capacity, but you'll at least have fans in every game. So that will be... That would be, you know, amazing to to be back at that level, and I think it's going to make this this tournament much more exciting. Absolutely, after everything that's been going through over the last year or so, not just here in Paraguay but also around the world, you know, the fact that now we're seeing people vaccinated. Obviously, you know, Ralph, Muddy, and I get that kind of now used to, um, you know, people going to games now in the, in the United States. We saw it in the Euros as well. Um, you know, fans coming back. So it's all about what's going to go in South America right now. So I think it's, it's a good sign. It's good progress. And hopefully that, you know, the, the Paraguayan health ministry and, and the government and, and obviously the people are able to demonstrate why they should be back at games and, and obviously create a good atmosphere for what is going to be a heated season and, you know, what's more to come next year. But obviously let's focus on what's going on this year and let's go straight up to what we're talking about in the international competitions. We saw three of our Paraguayan teams participate in the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana. We're going to go in order to what we saw on Tuesday where Cerro Huerteño took on Fluminense at La Nueva Olla and it was a game marred with so much controversy. A 2-0 loss and you know I, I think obviously the big talking point that we saw over the last few days was the offside call on Mario Baselli's goal where apparently the Fluminense player was indeed right there next to the, the center players and you know for for some reason it was given offside and you know there had been some controversy now given obviously what we saw on Twitter we saw also a protest be given uh, the other day outside the Comebol headquarters asking for the expulsion of not just Alejandro Dominguez the president of Comebol but also the referee we did see the VAR referees actually get suspended for that game from that game and from uh, officiating in, in future matches and Cerro Porteño have also sent in a note given you know asking Comebol because of what had been going on in that game to 
avoid it and play it again. Fede, obviously you have a better aspect of what's going on. Aside from what we saw, you know, obviously off the pitch, it was just not the right performance from Sara Bordenio. It was not the right performance for Chiquiaris' side, who, you know, had a huge challenge now with players missing, now have to tackle this season heading into the Clausura. But, you know, what we saw maybe does not paint a big picture of what we might see in the clausura. What did you think of what Cedro was able to demonstrate against Fluminense? No, I really didn't like what I saw from Cedro Porteño, especially in those first minutes. Uh, the team just didn't work from the strategy point of view, from what the coach, uh, uh, I think, kind of tried to put from the, from the start of the game. It just didn't work out. He, he had to change it 30 minutes in because Fluminense was looking a lot better. They were getting more opportunities in front of the goal. And Gian was the big uh, player for Cerro Porteño in those first minutes. And we're talking about the goalkeeper, the Brazilian goalkeeper that has been so important uh, for Cerro Porteño this year, uh, ever since he came in the team. And he was really the hero in those first minutes for Cerro Porteño not to be losing the match. Then it got kind of balanced uh, after after Cerro Porteño did a couple of, of, of adjustments, especially in that midfield where, where we saw for the first time the Colombian Carrascal, Rafael Carrascal, uh, and he really didn't work out uh, there next to Matias Villasanti. Obviously, we talked about this so many times. Cerro Porteño probably has one of the best midfields here in Paraguay, and unfortunately, they couldn't count with um, Pica Lucena, Anke Cardoso Lucena, who was playing for the national team during the Copa America. He got injured there. He wasn't able to play the, the last match. Well, we only saw him 45 minutes against Peru. He didn't come in the second half. And since then, he hasn't been 100%. So when he came back, when he came back to Cerro Porteño, it, it kind of changed uh, Chiqui Arces, uh, the Cerro Porteño's head coach's plan uh, for this game. And he had to put in Carrascal right away. And just uh, and Carrascal was just not feeling it with the rest of the team. Uh, he wasn't as aggressive as Lucena usually is to get the ball back. He is very talented. Obviously, I do think his, his skill is with the ball. I think he can make the team play. But, you know, the players around him are going to uh, try to understand him. And that takes some time, I believe, especially when, when you're not from the same place like Carrascal. He comes from another football. It's his first time outside of Colombia. So he has to make some adjustments also to the, to the team that he's uh, going to play in now. And Cerro Porteño had this big match with, uh, with almost no preview, with, with no important games, with no official games right before playing against a Brazilian, time, uh, a Brazilian team that was playing and playing in Brazil during the Copa America. They had the rhythm, and I kind of think that showed uh, during the whole match. And then we're going to talk about the rest. Then we can talk about what happened with Barr. But I think Cerro Porteño was just not up to the level, uh, was just not up to the to the challenge. And we didn't see the best out of some players. I mean, I didn't see, I didn't like what I saw from uh, uh, Morales, Robert Morales, which was a very good striker during the first half of the year. He didn't get many chances. I mean, he was sacrificed in midfield from for what I was saying for the formation that Chiquiarse uh, threw at us uh, at the beginning of the game and that didn't work out. That four two, uh, three one, it, it didn't work out seriously. And and when and when Robert Morales was playing in the box next to Boselli, that's where we saw the best from Cerro Porteño. I hope they learn from that, and I hope they can still fight this. But it's a two zero. You didn't score at home. Uh, the away goals might be just too much for them. It was a very 
tough game for a team that doesn't score many goals. Cerro Porteño, if we remember, only scored four goals in the group stage. That was the least of any of the qualifiers for the last 16. And then they had probably two chances in that game, both the Boselli. Boselli had a really good header that was saved by the goalkeeper. And then there's the goal that was ruled out that Roberto talked about, the very controversial VAR goal. And that, those, both those chances came in the time that Fede is talking about when, when they switched up a little bit and, and Carascal was getting into the game more and creating more because Claudio Aquino wasn't offering what, what I think Ser needed in, the, in that game. He was also you know, struggling in his position as kind of on the left but trying to cut in. It, it just wasn't, wasn't working for him. So when they switched things up a bit and you had Morales and Boselli together, Carascal a bit freer, uh, then they made some of those chances at the end of the, the second half. Going into halftime at nil-nil, you thought, okay, maybe this can continue. But what happens is with Carascal playing maybe a bit a bit higher up, he gets caught out. If you if you watch back on that first goal, there's kind of a counter-attack and he, he's he totally loses basically his bearings and and the man and and when the ball falls back to, to Nene who was like ha- hanging on the edge of the box, that's where you're, you needed your holding midfielder to be, and, and Biasanti had already gone and closed down. So you think, yeah, if there had been Lucena, maybe he would have been more aware to it because he's a bit better defensively. And and once with that goal, and I think coming after the the whole VAR controversy, I think, I think you know, Cerro were kind of a bit heads down. Um, it's a really tough task to go to go back to, to Brazil. And to, to Fede's point, you know, Fluminense have been playing, they played 13 games in that space that, that Cerro didn't play any games. So that kind of rhythm and help, it, it cost them a bit, by the way. I mean, they were missing a, a couple of players through injury, including Boadilla, the, the Paraguayan striker, but also Fred, who scored four goals for them in, in the group stages. So, you know, a very important player, even though he's, he's getting on a bit now. I think he's 38, 39. They're missing them because they got injured in these games. But then, you know, they... They do have that kind of rhythm and that team team play that I think, you know, Cerro was sort of struggling to to find. And then just one note, I mean, for the defense, of course, also for Cerro, they were missing Patino, who was suspended. Um, and then they sold Arsamendia. He's just moved to Cadiz in, in La Liga. So they actually had a very young defense. You had Alexis Duarte, who I think is 21. You had Del Valle, who's 20. Um, you had another defender who's just gone out my head but he's 20 as well and then you have Beto Espinola of course who's who's more experienced but I mean there's a very young back line to have three kids that are basically 20 21 years old playing in a Libertadores knockout tie so it was it was a big ask it wasn't that's helping their fault them. Ralph that's their fault they let go they, of Marcos Casas who was 35 years old who was yeah. the experienced uh, center back that they could have had for this for this very important game. Then they go them. They, they, they didn't want him anymore. It was, it was surprising they let him go knowing that Patino was suspended for this game. You know, he picked up the three yellow cards in the group stage. So so they knew he was going to miss out. It's that, that was strange. Lucena, on the other hand, they didn't know, of course, you know, the injury they couldn't be sure of. Um, but I think, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a big task for them now going into the the second leg. And, and I think we spoke about this before or, or we've, talked about it on Twitter maybe, but, you know, Cerro have never overcome a Brazilian side uh, over two legs in the Libertadores. And unfortunately, I don't think that's going to change now. 
Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's going to be a really tight task for these teams. And, you know, like you said, Ralph, you know, Fluminense just demonstrated how good they were, not just in the way that they have their talent, but also just being informed, even though they were missing a lot of players. And like to Fede's point as well, Cedro just couldn't find the replacements necessary. Okay, Arsamendi had moved like days before the, the game between um, between Fluminense, but, you know, you would think that you probably have like a good replacement beforehand, but it just didn't work out. You didn't see the best of Carascal. You didn't see the best of the captain via Santi, obviously the strikers. I mean, I mean, Maria, I mean, I'll go to you on this one. I, 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 and I'm sure all of us are in agreement. Uh, we could probably say it right now, unless they surprise us somehow. I, I don't see Cedro coming back from this, especially now going to Brazil and taking on a big team like Fluminense. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I don't see that either. I don't see that happening. Um, they did get, um, I know we're going to speak about the VAR situation and Comebol decision later on, but um, even if, I think even um, the only way that they could probably uh, turn this game around is if they do get that rematch um, from that from that game and, and start from scratch. So maybe they, they have some time to readjust all those errors that you guys were talking about. But going to Brazil, it's going to be a tough, tough, tough game for, for Cerro. And, um, and I think it's also, it's not just in the international uh, competitions, but um, I think it's one of the reasons too that I, I didn't pick them as my top three because I don't see them doing very well. And, and we saw them in, in the Apertura as well. Uh, they, they were kind of slipping down the, the, the hole and, and it, it wasn't working out. Um, hopefully, um, you know, they could, they could replace um, a lot of their, their players. Uh, Arsamendia was a great um, asset for them, unfortunately. Well, fortunate for him. <laughs> unfortunately, they, they, they had to let him go. So um, hopefully they get more, some kind of replacements there. Look at the young, at the younger t- uh, generations and, and, uh, and, and hopefully find someone to replace him. Definitely. I think that's kind of been the the mentality and the formula that Cedro have done using their academies. They obviously using players that come from there to play on the first team. And I think it's just something that they kind of have to do if they're not able to, you know, spend the money necessary. But Fede, yeah, going back to what Maria said about this whole situation about VAR, obviously we saw them filing to call my ball. You know, this was something that I think the entire world was talking about, you know, this whole VAR situation or lack of it. I mean, for something like this to to be reversed seems very difficult. I, I don't see it happening. It would have to be a a monumental error. And yes, it was an error per se, but you know, in the history of what Gomez have done, I don't see them changes as result. Unless you have some information otherwise uh, over there in Paraguay. Unless something really weird happens in these next couple of days, I don't think it will happen. I mean, what, what are we, it would be just too weird for, for a rematch. I mean, this is this doesn't usually happen in football. I mean, if they do this now, they will have to do it in every single protest they get. I mean, uh, Bar and the refs here in South America, we, we saw it during Copa America. The level is really low right now. And... I know there's a big difference in what we saw from the European game and what and the way that we we're seeing that the bar is being is being treated here in South America and we talked about this before in this show also I was worried about the situation uh, before 
beforehand. And I thought with VAR it was going to be a little bit easier now because we didn't have VAR in the group stage. Remember that. I mean, VAR is coming in now to supposedly help out the res and it was just made it even worse. But it's not about the technology. It's about the guys, right? It's about the human beings that are there controlling the stuff. I mean, how can you not look twice at that monitor? How is it that your second ref, your, your assistant that's sitting next to you doesn't tell you, no, you didn't see, you didn't see this. I mean, the, you know, the, the way they, they work in there, it was really weird. I mean, uh, from the process point of view, uh, it was just not correct. You just don't see something like this happen. Uh, you just don't see it. Yeah, it, it, up until now, I mean, we hadn't seen a mistake this big. I mean, this was probably the biggest mess up in bar history up until now. I mean, that's why you're talking about Roberto, that, you know, this had like a international bounce. It was all around media uh, that night and even the day after. And, and Seven Porteño was in the middle, stuck in this situation. And I really do think that the team was was affected by this situation at halftime. And it, and it kind of showed it at those first minutes in the second half where Fluminense just came right at them uh, and took the game by, uh, away from them. Yeah, because it definitely affected them because we heard Chiquiasse say in the press conference after the game, he said, why were they taking so long to do this when we could see on our phones, on our cell phones, what had happened already because you know those guys on the bench or the or the kind of directors that are allowed in the stadium they were seeing everything in real time we were seeing it on whatsapp right in in groups and that kind of thing we could see they've made a mistake so surely in the dressing room at half time the the you know at least chikias and his stuff they knew it'd been a mistake and maybe that was communicated to the players but it was a huge error from from process like Fede says because actually the it starts with the assistant referee the assistant referee shouldn't raise his flag at that point you're meant to wait let the play go on kind of thing um and then okay you know then you can go to to VAR and then it's that thing of just drawing the line from the wrong defender because they totally missed the defender that was there we, we did have uh, similar incidents happening very recently. Remember Paraguay against Uruguay in the World Cup qualifiers, you know, there was a goal disallowed that, that Uruguay thought really shouldn't have been. And, and afterwards, in fact, you know, they agreed they'd made a mistake. But maybe that was more a kind of, it was a mistake of, inter of how they interpreted the rules, maybe. It wasn't, you know, such an obvious mistake of just, you know, drawing the line in the wrong place, which is what's happened here, because they just didn't see the defender, which was, you know, a very, a very clear thing. And you also had Colombia had a big protest. I think it was also against, they were against Uruguay in Copa America. But, you know, we had protests very recently against refereeing, and none of this ends in, in games being replayed. And it's not going to happen this year in, if, in any year because of the pandemic and the schedule we're in we don't you know they don't usually have time to replay games and this year they have even less time so that's not going to happen the the most Cerro could I think hope for which is and which is reasonable is some kind of monetary compensation because they're going to miss out if they don't go through uh 1.5 million dollars which is the next round of prize money and it would be in a kind of legal sense it would be fair for them to say the loss of earnings is from kind of Commabol's incompetence and negligence. So they, you know, almost like Commabol should be fined. Usually they find the teams, but it could be the other way around. There could be, you know, some 
some kind of basis for that. I don't know. But replaying the game, I can't see happen. You can't replay a game. You can't do a rematch for stupid ref. I mean, this guy was just stupid. This guy was just dumb. I mean, what, how, what, what am I going to call this guy? This Chilean ref. I mean, he did a close-up and he totally forgot about a player. Three of, yeah, but three mistake. people, right? Is your assistant referee, your VAR, and your AVAR. It's like three people made this mistake. It's and all the screens in the world right in front of you, and you miss it. It's just, what's going on? Well, I was going to say, I don't know if, um, I was thinking a little bit back. I don't know if it was one of our guests that we had this conversation with, but um, the situation with, with, the, with the teaching of the VAR in South America is, is very it's very minimal. It's kind of taken very lightly. So then obviously things like this are going to happen. And now, you know, something big like the settle game happens. And where is this all going to go? Where is this? Whose fault is it? It's Gomez Bowles because they're not putting the, the, they're probably not putting the, the money. They're probably not putting the time for, for refs to get the training that they actually get, need compared to refs in Europe that have, uh, quality training and 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 much better, uh, obviously much much more money <laughs> than Comebol. But still, you know, if you want to implement this kind of technology, you need to put the time and effort and the money to to get the best results. Certainly, and I think after uh, what we saw, this kind of debacle, I think Comebol and and obviously the the main. Uh, FAs from all across South America have to really look and say, okay, you know, we can't have an incident like this happen again. And, you know, nothing is perfect when it comes to VAR and obviously the interpretation of the rules, but at the same time, you know, a, a big error like this should not be happening in a major competition like the Lirith Artists. So yeah, I agree, Marty. I think certainly they have to reevaluate the way that they're teaching their referees from all levels, assistants, VARs and whatnot, and then and, and to really drill that in even if it's not perfect when it comes into the to the main matches but at least they don't avoid that they, they avoid these errors that are going on that we saw in the Cedro game so yeah I, I think this is really going to change a lot and you know I, I don't see a replay happening either it's there's just there's no time a big error like this like you said Fede who, who else if, if it's not them if it's going to be them who else who else is going to get it? But the only the only way you can get a rematch is if you, if you can actually demonstrate that the guy did it on purpose. I mean, if, if you can demonstrate that the ref went into that bar situation thinking, I'm going to mess these guys up, I'm going to screw these guys, then you can go after a replay. But there's no there's no way of proving that. I mean, there's no evidence just looks like whatsoever. A dumb ref that, that didn't see something. Absolutely. There's no evidence whatsoever that the referee wanted to go and interpret the game and wanting it to go against Cedro's favor. So you just got to go with what you have. And I do agree with that compensation thing that you'd mentioned, Rob. I think that might be a, a similar situation where, you know, this kind of um, errors that Comeball had made, you know, they now have to pay Cedro Porteño back for what they did. So, yeah, it's, it's a weird situation. I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to um, be demonstrated in the next few days from home from Cedro and, and just how this is this this really big debacle is going to be solved so let's we'll keep an eye on to that and obviously let's switch gears to what we saw from the others team in the Copa Libertadores who also disappointed unfortunately it was Olympia who had come back um, taking on Internacional obviously a team that they had faced in the group stage beforehand 
They played over the Empara Uno, ending nil-nil. And Maria, going to you on this one, I think, you know, a result like this, similar to what we saw with Fluminense against Cedra, okay, you know, they didn't concede any goals as well. But, you know, that, that kind of match that you needed to take advantage of, and, and Ortuan just couldn't do it, and we couldn't see the best out of them in a game like this. Yeah, it was a game, like you said, that they needed to win. It was at home, and they just they couldn't get it. Um, they had a lot of um, they had a lot of chances in the games, uh, but they were kind of they. It was very. I don't even have a word for it. <laughs> it was just. It was just. It wasn't hidden. It It was. They were very slack, slacking in the plays, and the the plays were all everywhere. It was kind of messy. A, a kind of, a, like a messy game for for Olympia and. Um, I saw that um, Orteman spoke later in the press conference and he, you know, obviously he's going to defend his team, but he, in his eyes, they, they did very well. And um, they were, there was, it was a good game for them. And it's like, no, you have to admit it. It wasn't a good game for them. Uh, you you should have won, you know, obviously a draw nil, nil. It's a, it's a, it's an advantage for them because they can go to Brazil and, um, and, and get a, 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 a good uh, result and hopefully make it through, but it wasn't a good game for them and and or or, or the team. And there was it was very messy. The only I think the only player that was very good was was the goalie, uh, the the goalkeeper. He was amazing at all all his um, at all his uh, plays and and stopping all those plays from international. So um, I think the only one that, yeah, I think the only one that played very well was him. Um, I believe it's Alfredo, Alfredo Aguilar. Aguilar. Yeah. <laughs> you were going to say, Maria, that? this team, this, this team beat you by five goals during the group stage and, and you were able to uh, maintain it zero, zero on the first leg. I mean, there's some good news in this. I mean, I think you're pretending too much. I, I, I think you're, <laughs> you're waiting too much out of this right. situation. And Olivia barely made it here. But they had all this time to practice and they knew who they're going to play against. So I think at least one or two goals would have been ideal for this team. There were, only, like this. there were only four international players that played in that 6-1. It's like a totally changed team. And uh, I think, I mean, to, to Maria's point, I think it was a very sloppy game. Like both teams were kind of misplacing passes and Internacional is playing like a team that's on that form that they're in. They're now like two wins from 12 games. The manager's new, of course, as well. It's now uh, uh, Diego Aguirre from, from Uruguay because they got rid of Miguel Angel Ramirez. So, I mean, there were there are a lot of changes. But I, I kind of also agree with Pere that, that I thought, you know, Olympia still getting a draw is not such a bad result because, you know, this isn't a vintage Olympia team either. This is like an Olympia team that's been kind of growing into this and, and gradually getting better. Um, and I thought, you know, a positive for them was somebody like, was like Pita, who, okay, he didn't score, but he looks, he looks much better than the Pita that we saw at the beginning of the Apertura that was just couldn't score anything and missing. You know, he looks more confident. You had Delis Gonzalez coming back. I think Gonzalez is still maybe a little bit off the pace compared to the player we know, but he's going to be, he's going to be useful. Um, and, I, and I really liked uh, Salazar, the right back. I thought he had a good debut. He's just signed uh, the Argentinian player, and I thought he was a very strong 
player and maybe something that they needed when Otalvaro, I've remembered these games, seeing Otalvaro get caught out a lot. He's a very attacking fullback, but he gets caught out a lot. Salazar gave them a bit more defensive stability, I thought. So it's not a terrible result for Olympia, but yeah, it's also going to be very hard to go to Brazil because, you know, these Brazilian sides are much stronger at home as, as we know, and they might have some players back because, like I say, there, there were only four players that, that played in that 6-1 because they played the, the Grenal at the weekend, the big Clásico with Grêmio. So I think they even rested some players because of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't think this team is working, Roberto, because that midfield is not working. I mean, you know, I, I don't see what's going on there with Brian Ojeda. I mean, Ale Silva is not being in his top form. Jorge Regal is not scoring lately either in this team. So there are some players that are just not working out individually. I, I don't think they're up to their best uh, uh, ability right now. I, I am happy with what I saw from 38-year-old Antolin Alcaraz, who was back there in defense when maybe a couple of, of games ago we thought that he wasn't going to start in this game. But the, the opportunity opened up and he really showed up. I mean, he was probably the best back there. Uh, getting so many uh, balls back for his team, crushing heads with it, like his style is. You know, he's a very strong defender, and he just he uses his body uh, to to take everybody out of out of out of their comfort zone, and he just does it with such an elegance. And I, I really like what I saw from Antonina Alcaraz, the leadership from in defense. I think that's going to be very important, obviously, in the game that's going to be played next week. And you're going to have to score in Brazil. But this team looks beatable. I mean, Inter is not the same team from the group stage. You can beat this team. And, and obviously, certainly having the, the advantage of scoring the away goal will help them in that kind of series. You know, obviously, like you said, Fede, you know, the fact that they can indeed track back and try to defend as much as they can after scoring if they do get that. So, yes, I do agree. I think there is a certain case of, wanting to get the the results and you know it's, it's going to be tough it's going to be really tough for them to to get the result but you know obviously you know like you said ralph even though it might not be the vintage olympia side you know they are a side that are growing and certainly you know let's see what they do over the weekend in the in the clausura um, obviously kicking off their season maybe they can get some rest from some of the players that are not going to play that game and that's going to be vital for the game against inter so you know, I mean, it's it's not the same side like Fede said, but I, I think echoing what Maria said as well, I, I think because of not being able to get that beatable result, they should have gotten something over there, at least in Para Uno, to, to calm down um, the nerves heading into next weekend. So I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from them. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll shift gears to what's going on at least on one positive side from a, a Paraguayan side, and that's from Libertad and kind of the, the dream team, as we can say now in, in Paraguay, really. Um, obviously, you know, uh, the defending champions in the, of, the, of the Apertura now going into the Sudamericana, really straightening their players, getting a lot of players like Maidada, getting Marcelo Diaz, Lorenzo Negarejo from Racing as well, coming back to Libertad. They've really gotten a really strong side, and they go all the way to Colombia to get a 4-3 win. Ralph, I mean, this is a this was a really good result for for obviously Daniel Ganero, 
obviously putting him in a, in a good spot heading into the second leg now in Asuncion. But it was really the game of Hector Martinez. He was kind of a player that kind of got in, in there, got a few touches and got a few goals as well. But also from the youngsters, Julio Enciso, a player that we've talked about all year long, not just what we saw from Thought, but also from the national team as well. You know, he's, he's kind of been raising his stock right now. And, and, and in games like this, it, it, it proves that he's he's up for big things um, in the future of his of his career. Yeah, I mean it's it's nice to see him. He's starting this game up front with Cardoso with Taquara, and and you know they play off each other very well. He like protects him a lot on the pitch. Uh, he missed a very easy chance if you remember, you know, like a like a very easy chance that you thought he should have scored. But then when he gets his second chance in the second half, he puts it away. So I think that's you know a nice sign of his kind of confidence and, and his strengths, of his mental strength. Um, it, it was a strange game. I mean, this is the kind of game that Garnero always does in continental competition, and it doesn't work. But, to them, but this time it worked, because if you remember, exactly three months before that game, they played Atletico Nacional in Medellin, and they lost 4-1. And I think it was a similar game in that sense. I mean, what happened this time is they managed to outscore the opposition, but it was like intense they were like going let's go past midfield let's go down the flanks you know let's just go toe to toe in high intensity and and it cost them at the beginning they were losing and then you know Tito Vialba scores two goals and and one is thanks to defensive error but the defensive error from uh from junior is because this is such like a, an intense game it was very high tempo you know up and down uh, end to end I should say and then you know and then junior go back and it's 3-2 and he thought, okay, Garnero, he's made that mistake again. You know, he's, he's getting caught out. But then he just kept with it and, and they got the goals. And it works in an away match because, of course, the, you know, whether it was 1-0 or 4-3, it's the same kind of result for, for Libertad. They have the advantage. They have the extra, you know, they have the away goal advantage. So I think it's, you know, it's a great result for them. And, and now let's see how they set up in the, in the game against, uh, in the home game, sorry, in the home leg. I think, you know, someone like Marcelo Diaz, wow, what a good player. He hadn't played for, I don't know how long, like eight months or something. And his, you know, technical ability is is amazing. And I think he'll be a really useful player in these big games with the experience he has. He's won two Copa Americas, you know. This guy knows what to do at the very top level. And then you're going to have, you have Cardoso and he's Mel, Melgarejo is back, like you mentioned. He didn't play in this game. But Melgar and Cardoso played a, a Europa League final against Chelsea. I mean, these guys have huge experience. So I think what they have is a real team that, that can challenge. Now it's just to make sure they get that strategy right and, and keep, you know, keep pushing on. But they're in pole position to go through to the quarterfinals. Absolutely. And Fede, I'll go to you on this one as well. Did, did you see that as Leroy that side is convincing you enough? And Maria, I'll get to you as, on your opinion as well. Do you think that this Libertad side have enough to contend for the Sudamericana title? And it's weird to say that, given that you know Paraguayan teams really aren't considered the favorites in big competitions like this. But the way that Libertad are straightening their teams, obviously coming off as league champions and and getting results like this, you got to put them up as one of the favorites. Yeah, of course. You just looking at the roster. I mean, just when this team left Libertadores, I said that this team has way too much roster, way too many good players. For Sudamericana, and they and it kind of showed on this game. You know, any of these players can score, and they just have so much ability. And then you bring all this pedigree around. Uh, I mean, Marcelo Diaz, uh, 
Rap was just saying, a champion all around. Uh, Camilo Mayada also, River, so many titles. I mean, you're, you're bringing players that know how to play these games and that they're not going to have any doubts into going into these kind of matches. My concern isn't that defense just because of how many goals they, they conceded. I mean, uh, what I see from the Uruguayan Alexis uh, Barbosa is that he takes way too many risks and he ends up making a, a lot of mistakes and it, it kind of unbalances the team. Obviously, this team is a very uh, offensive team because of his coach. I mean, uh, they, they promised also the president that uh, of the club that they will go after the Sudamericana. So you're expecting to see this from Libertad. They're going to go, no matter what team goes, uh, is in front of them, they're going to go after the goal. And, and, and I think that was Garnero's message also from, from the 11 that he picked. I mean, a very offensive attacking team in, in that midfield also. Just because Marcelo Diaz, you know, he's going to be the heart of this team, but you, you can't ask him uh, at this stage of his career uh, to, to, to go chasing after players. I mean, I think that's uh, Hugo Martinez's job in that midfield, just because he's younger. And, and, and I love what I saw from him also in that first uh, half. And he even put an assist uh, with a great pass uh, that he can also make constantly in the games and we're seeing uh, a huge development we're seeing a huge uh in, in, these, these players are evolving these players are growing and i'm talking about hugo martinez and julio Ciso, who you also mentioned and it's probably a lot easier for them to to, to grow and to to go into the level that we're expecting they can go into with this surrounding with all these great players around them I, I, I think that's just great news also for the national team. And it's maybe also good news for the national team that we've finally seen the best uh, version of Tito Villalba in, in Libertad. I mean, this is a player that was called up before to the national team. He's only six, 26 years old. He's probably in, the, in his prime of his career right now. Why not give him a call? I mean, we got to play now in September. He keeps it up like this. I mean, he might get a call from Berizzo. Uh, we lost... Uh, we lost Antonio Varejo during the Copa America for an injury. He won't be back for the whole year. I mean, this is a player that has kind of that similar style that can give you that 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 play that that game uh, by the by the right side by that right side where Antonio uh, also played. Uh, I, I really like what I saw from Libertad. I mean, it was obviously the best performance from a pair wine team this week. And, and the thing with Libertad is probably that locker room. I mean, how are you going to have all the players together? They, they managed to work it out during the apertura. You just got to bring players together and all working for the same goals, you know, because you, you see some players that are probably not that happy. Uh, I saw Carlos Ferreira uh, coming in very late in the game. And this was a striker that not long ago was the starting striker of the team. Ivan Franco, Blas Cáceres. I mean, all these guys are probably not comfortable, not getting all the game time they want, not being in the starting team. But you got to make them feel comfortable. That, that's part of the job that Garnero also has to do with this amazing uh, all-star team that he has. Definitely. And Maria, I'll go to you on this one because we made the predictions on how they can do in the league but that's now the big challenge how they're going to be able to tackle both these competitions yeah i like i said i think um in my predictions i i said that they're going to make it second place if not i didn't say this in my predictions but 
if not, they could make it again uh, a champions. Um, obviously, I want Olympia to win for obvious reasons. <laughs> but um, yeah, they do have a superstar team, like you said, Fede. They have um, an, an, they had amazing signings this time around, and um, I was going to mention as well um, Tito Villalba. He um, the moment that he went to 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 Club de Libertad from ATO, I believe. Um, I just you know I thought that that was great for him because um, he's definitely gotten more expo more um, time playing. Uh, not at the beginning, but towards like now. Um, so and he ever since that he's been playing very well in the Apertura. He had a bunch of goals. I'm not sure how many, uh, but this this last game uh, he, he had two two goals and they were back to back pretty much. So um, I I like this team. Um, uh, I think that they can make it far into this competition. Hopefully they can win it. Um, you know, uh, I think that was your original question, Roberto, if they yeah. can win the Sudamericana. Um, I, I think so. I, I, I think that they're capable of doing it. But like you said, uh, they need to put all the effort that they can. Definitely. They, there are definitely they, have, they would have Santos Independiente next round if they get through. So it's not easy. It's not an easy tournament because you get the the Libertadores people, but then I do think the Brazilian sides, when they drop into the Sudamericana, maybe don't take it quite as seriously because now they're, you know, now they have their own Brasileirao that's, that's coming into kind of crunch time. So, so that could play in their favor. I mean, but they have the quality, I agree. They, they have the quality to go deep in the tournament. And I'm with Maria that I think Olympia would win, could win the title if Libertad go deep in Sudamericana and they kind of get distracted but otherwise you know Libertad really is the team to beat in the Clausura as well absolutely and and but but Ralph to your point that's also the type of games that you need to win in order to demonstrate how you know you want to win this competition and I think that has been the ambition for obviously Libertad Horacio Cardes obviously having a huge financial boom on this team you know that kind of objective to win something outside of you know so many I'm not so many kind of the the leagues and the Copa Paraguay's, you know, they want to get international glory. They want to do something that they've never done before. And so that's part of their plan. And what they've done over the last few weeks is to demonstrate that they do want the, this competition and taking it seriously and they can prove it, but it's all about what, how they set up in these type of games. And, you know, they're going to face adversity. They kind of face that, you know, trying to come back from their win against junior, but I think they, they, they are really, honestly focusing on winning this competition and they're doing everything they can to straighten as best as they can to get to that um that goal essentially and win the sudamericana so it'll be interesting to see what happens from that it'll be interesting to see what happens from the likes of olympia etc who have huge mountains to climb next week and obviously with the clausura starting we'll definitely be focusing on what's been going on over there so i think this is the perfect time to close off another great episode of one any vision thank you to all that have listened and you know for myself roberto rojas for fede perez maria ritos and ralph hannah thank you so much for listening to another episode of one any vision see you soon